0: Before this episode begins, I would like to mention that this episode has a trigger warning. If you are under the age of 12, you should listen to this episode with your parents or guardian. We will be talking about the extremely sensitive and difficult topic of self-harm and suicide, and this will mention things like knives, self-harm methods, death, and weaponry. I understand that some of you may be very upset about this topic, and that's perfectly okay. But I myself believe that just because something is hard to talk about doesn't mean we shouldn't discuss it or avoid the topic. You can always stop listening whenever you feel like it. Greetings, dears! Welcome back to our podcast, Open Mind. This is episode 6. My name is Sharon, and I'm your hostess. Open Mind will explore the basics of different mental illnesses, how to help someone with it, and how to cope with it. In this episode, we will talk about self-harm and suicide. Welcome back everyone! In today's episode, we will talk about what is suicide and self-harm, warnings and risk factors, myths about suicide and self-harm, how to help someone dealing with suicide and self-harm, and how to handle and get help with suicide and self-harm. First up, let's talk about the definition of suicide and self-harm. Suicide is the act of taking your own life. Suicidal ideation is wanting to or thinking about committing suicide. Passive suicide would be thinking about or wanting to be dead, but not having the plans, means, or will to do so. Active suicide is having the will to commit suicide and an active plan, and in some cases, taking action to do so. Neither one of these is less important or dangerous. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the United States, and the second leading cause of death among 10 to 34-year-olds. Women attempt suicide more often than men, but men are successful about three to four times more often than women. Self-harm is the action of bodily harm that damages the tissue and can leave marks that last for several hours or longer. However, it doesn't kill you. Now let's talk about the warnings and risk factors. Suicide warning signs include isolating yourself from your loved ones, feeling hopeless or trapped, talking about death or suicide, giving away possessions, an increase in substance use or misuse. Increased mood swings, anger, rage, or irritability. Engaging in risk-taking behaviors like using drugs. Accessing the means to kill yourself, such as medication, drugs, or a firearm. Acting as if you're saying goodbye to people. Feeling extremely anxious. Depression. Previous suicide attempts. Preoccupation with death. Statements like, you would be better off without me, or I wish I were dead openly talking about wanting to kill oneself, development of a suicide plan, acquiring the means to carry it out, rehearsal behavior, or setting a time for the attempt, making a will or giving away favorite possessions, inappropriately saying goodbye, making statements like, you don't have to worry about me anymore, I wish I could go to sleep and never wake up, or I just can't take it anymore, suddenly switching from being very depressed to being very happy or calm for no apparent reason. Suicide risk factors can be internal or physical, such as emotionally, situational, health, or events. It's easier to understand and see situations and times where suicide may be more common, as it's a little hard to figure out how someone is feeling. Situations include death or terminal illness of relative or friend, divorce, separation, or breakup of a relationship, loss of health, loss of job, home, money, status, self-esteem, or personal security, drug or alcohol misuse, and depression. Events include holidays and anniversaries, the first week after discharge from a hospital, when treatment with an antidepressant first begins, just before and after diagnosis of a major illness for example, the risk of suiciding cancer patients is highest shortly after diagnosis rather than after cancer has spread or progressed, and just before or during disciplinary proceedings. Emotional includes overwhelming pain, hopelessness, powerlessness, worthlessness, shame, guilt, self-hatred, and fear of losing control and harming themselves or others. Behaviors include appearing sad, withdrawn, tired, apathetic, anxious, irritable, or prone to angry outbursts, not performing well in school, work, or other activities, becoming socially isolated or falling in with the wrong crowd, having declining interest in friends or activities that they previously enjoyed, neglecting personal welfare, self-care, or letting their appearance go, experiencing a change in eating or sleeping habits, Self-harm warnings include scars that occur in a pattern sometimes restricted to one area of the body, such as the wrists or the thighs, keeping sharp objects such as knives, needles, or razor blades on hand, fresh scars, scratches, bite marks, or bruises, repeatedly rubbing one area of the body, wearing long sleeves and pants even in very hot weather, low self-esteem, negative self-talk, statements of hopelessness, feelings of worthlessness, unpredictable, impulsive behavior, and making excuses to explain away visible injuries. Self-harm risk factors include gender, age, such as teens and young adults, having other mental disorders, trauma, drug and alcohol misuse, as cutting and burning and other forms of self-harm may occur when a person is under the influence of a substance, such as being drunk. Methods of self-injury can include cutting, burning, scratching, self-hitting, pinching, head banging, piercing skin with needles or sharp objects, hair pulling or inserting objects under the skin, and there's more to the list. Next up, let's tackle myths about suicide and self-harm. First off, people who threaten suicide are just attention seekers. A lot of people are really good at hiding their problems. So if they do open up about suicide, that should be taken very seriously. You need to listen carefully and get professional help immediately. Secondly, people who failed to commit suicide weren't serious. People who try to commit suicide are trying to end their lives so they don't have to feel the negative emotions or deal with hard times. People who attempted are much more likely to try again and succeed. Lastly, asking people if they think about suicide or self-harm increases their risk of doing so. People may feel like talking about suicide may somehow plant a seed. Asking questions, however, won't make someone want to do so. In fact, if they are thinking about it, the direct honesty may be a relief for them. And now it is time for a joke break. How do you fix a cracked pumpkin? With the pumpkin patch. What dinosaur had the best vocabulary? The thesaurus. Knock, knock. Who's there? Interrupting pirate. Interrupting pirate! (laughs) Now let's talk about how to help someone dealing with suicide and self-harm. First thing you can do is ask them directly if they're engaging in self-harm. Often the direct approach is the most effective. Be clear that your goal is to help them, not to judge or punish. You can ask them, Did you make those cuts on your arms on purpose, or are you hurting yourself? You can identify activities that they can do when they feel the urge to hurt themselves, such as calling a friend, going for a walk, or drawing, cuddling with a pet, and you can make a list of that. You can also help them create a list of people to talk to. Talking to trusted friends and family can help them cope with stress and reduce their self-injury. Make a list of caring adults that they can reach out to, such as a grandparent, an uncle or aunt, a friend's parent, or neighbors that they can confide in. You should also be patient with them. Self-harming behavior takes time to develop, and that will also take time to change. It's ultimately up to them to make the choice to help them, but you can always support. You should also start a conversation. Don't be afraid to steer the conversation towards their mental health. If you have concerns that they may be contemplating suicide or that they've been struggling with mental health issues after a recent stressful event, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention suggests that you can open up a conversation by saying, It seems like you've been dealing with a lot lately. Does it ever get so tough that you think about ending your life? You can ask them if they're experiencing any symptoms like trouble sleeping, feelings of hopelessness, feeling trapped or overwhelmed, or any of the symptoms we talked about beforehand. You should reinforce the fact that you're always there to listen to them and support them and that's okay to seek help. It's also essential to talk to their doctor immediately or encourage them to talk to their doctor. The doctor may refer them to a mental health professional. You should also confirm thoughts. Don't be afraid to ask if they're having thoughts of suicide. Studies show that asking at-risk friends and family members if they are thinking about suicide doesn't increase suicidal thoughts. You're not putting ideas into their head by asking. On the contrary, asking will give you valuable information about how to proceed and help. If the answer is yes, you should follow up with these three questions. Have you thought about how you would do it? Do you have what you need to carry out your plan? Do you know when you'll do it? And you can always speak from the heart. There's no right or wrong things you can say if you're speaking out of love and concern. Just be yourself. Show that you care by talking to them, holding them while they cry, or whatever else is necessary. Research has shown that acknowledging what people are experiencing may help them process their thoughts and reduce suicidal thoughts. And a big one, always, always listen. We talk about this all the time. A suicidal person is usually carrying around some burden that they feel they just can't handle anymore. Offer to listen as they vent their feelings of despair, anger, and loneliness. Sometimes this enough is can lighten the load just enough for them to carry on you should also keep them talking talking will allow them to reduce the emotional burden that they are carrying and give them time to calm down the longer you keep them talking the more you can take the edge off their desperation as the momentum winds down it's harder for them to act on their feelings and this is the big 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 one we always talk about taking care of yourself and self-care dealing with suicide is a very stressful thing to handle Be sure that you care for yourself as well and seek assistance to process or decompress afterwards. Talk to a trusted friend, a therapist, your doctor, a religious leader, or anyone who can offer support about what you've been through and how you feel about it. Last one is seeking emergency help. If the person has already started a suicide attempt, call for help immediately. If they are still conscious. Get what information you can about what substances they have ingested, how long ago they took them, and how much they took, when they last ate, and their general state of health. If you are in a situation such as an online friendship where you know very little about the person, encourage them to call 911 on their own, or call a suicide hotline in their area. This is your best option because a local agency such as 911 or Hotline may be able to trace the call and get assistance to them. If they refuse to call, do your best to learn whatever personal information you can about the person. Don't hesitate to ask them for their address, phone number, and any other personal information that can help dispatch an emergency crew to their home. If they're at risk of attempting suicide right now, you should call your local police department or 911 right away. Imminent danger includes a person in possession of weapons, pills, or other means to follow through with suicide. If possible, don't leave them alone and do your best to remove any possible means they can use to hurt themselves. If it is safe, you may also drive your friend to the emergency room. Doctors will assess their mental and physical health and create a clear plan that will help keep them safe. If, on the other hand, you believe the threat is serious but not imminent, it's still important to act. You may take time to show support, listen, and encourage them to seek professional help. Help is always, always available. Now let's discuss how to handle and get help for suicide and self-harm. Right now I'm going to talk about some substitutes, some healthy substitutes you can do instead of self-harm. If you self-harm to express t- pain or intense emotions, you could draw, paint, or scribble on a big piece of paper with red ink or paint. You could start a journal in, in which to express your feelings. You could compose a poem or a song to say what you feel. You can write down any negative feelings on a paper and then rip it up. You can listen to music that expresses what you're feeling or music that will make you feel happier. If you self-harm to calm and soothe yourself, you could take a bath or hot shower, I especially recommend bubble baths. You could pet or cuddle with a dog or cat. You could wrap yourself in a warm blanket, massage your hands, neck, and feet as well. If you self-harm because you feel disconnected or numb, You could call a friend, and you don't have to talk about self-harm, you could talk about absolutely anything you want to. You could take a cold shower. You can hold an ice cube in the crook of your arm or leg. You can chew on something with a very strong taste, like chili peppers, peppermint, or a grapefruit or orange peel. You could go online to a self-help website, chat room, or message board. If you self-harm to release tension or vent anger, you could exercise vigorously. You could run, dance, jump rope, or hit a punching bag. You could punch a cushion or mattress and scream into your pillow. You can squeeze a stress ball or squish Play-Doh or clay. You could rip something up, such as sheets of paper and a magazine, but make sure to recycle. And you can make some noise, like play an instrument, bang on pots and pans. One of my favorites is to press down on all the low keys of the piano. Some substitutes for the cutting sensation could be using a red marker pen to draw on your skin where you might usually cut. You could dip ice cubes in red food coloring and rub them over your skin where you might usually cut. Or you can place rubber bands on your arms, wrists, or legs and snap them instead of cutting. You think, If you're ta- thinking about talking to someone about it, you should communicate in whatever way you feel most comfortable. If you're too nervous to talk in person, you should consider starting the conversation off with an email, text, or letter, although it's important to eventually follow up with a face-to-face conversation. Don't feel pressured into sharing things you're not ready to talk about. You don't have to show the person your injuries or answer any questions you don't feel comfortable answering, and you should make sure that they know this as well. You should also give the person time to process what you tell them. As difficult as it is for you to open up, it may be difficult for the person you tell, especially if it's a close friend or family member. Sometimes you may not like the way the person reacts. Try to remember that reactions such as shock, anger, and fear come out of concern for you. It may help to print out an article that you find so that you can give it to them. Then they can better, uh, better understand cutting and self-harm and they'll be better able to support you. So dears, today we talked about what is suicide and self-harm, warnings and risk factors, myths about suicide and self-harm, how to help someone dealing with suicide and self-harm, and how to handle and get help with suicide and self-harm. Thank you for listening and learning with me. I hope you got something out of this episode and maybe decide to do some research of your own. As this is our last episode, allow me to part with the final cross-the-road joke. Why did the dinosaur cross the road? Because the chicken wasn't around yet. Farewell, dears. These helplines I'm about to list are free, confidential, and are operated 24-7. If you need help, you shouldn't hesitate to ask for it. Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. You can call them at 1-800-662-4357. Again, 1-800-662-4357. National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can call them at 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. one 273 8255 National Alliance on Mental Illness Helpline. You can call them at one eight hundred nine five zero six two six four. 950 6264 Again, one eight zero zero nine five zero six two six four. 950 6264 National Eating Disorders Association Helpline. You can call them at one 800 931 Two two three seven. Again, one eight zero zero nine three one two two three seven. National Domestic Violence Hotline. You can call them at 1 800 799 7233. Again, one eight zero zero seven nine nine seven two three three. 799 7233. You can also text them at 22522 two, Love Is, all caps. Again, you can text L-O-V-E-I-S, all capital letters, to 22522. Crisis Text Line, you can text them at 741741. Again, 741741.